Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Agency Journey. In this episode, Gray has a conversation with Josh Bowerly from the Prestige Journal, and they have an awesome conversation about how you can get your agency running at maximum tax efficiency. One of the coolest things that Josh shares that I think every agency needs to pay attention to is the corporate structure that you use to classify your business. It can save you a lot of money from a tax perspective if you know the right questions to ask. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey there, guys. This episode of Agency Journey is brought to you by our friends over at Sweet Process. Sweet Process is a process documentation software that gives your team a central place to create and manage all of your important procedures, processes, and policies. And now we all know that processes can't live in a vacuum. And that's why Sweet Process makes it easy for everyone on your team to collaborate together on those processes and then continually keep them up to date. Now, they normally offer a 14-day free trial, but for our audience, they've extended that to a 28-day free trial. So you can head over to sweetprocess.com slash agencyjourney and try it out. No credit card required. Again, that's sweetprocess.com slash agencyjourney. All right, welcome into this week's episode of Agency Journey. This is Gray McKenzie, and I'm thrilled to have on with me this week Josh Bowerly from, let's see, the Prestige Journal, CPA on Fire was yeah. kind of what uh, I knew you for for a while. But Josh, welcome to the podcast. We'll get into the, the business story here as well, but thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'm excited. So maybe we can just start. We'll go start with the current day and then work backwards a little bit here. So you're currently running the Prestige Journal. Um, prior to operating that business, uh, you're running CPA on Fire, which also had another name prior to being CPA on Fire. Right, right. Uh, maybe you can just bring us up to speed on where things are today, and then kind of we'll we'll dig into a little bit of the backstory here. Yeah. So I'm with the like you said, I'm with the Prestige Journal. Uh, I have two partners there, Andrew and Barbara, um, and we work with online-based businesses. We handle their tax and accounting needs, and it's it's really just a true full service package where we're going to handle everything. We're going to make sure your books are awesome, giving you numbers you actually understand, and then translating that to your taxes, your tax planning, all that good stuff. So um, the yeah, the financial um, space, like we're running up towards the end of the year here. So we're starting to get into the season where people will have to be forced to start thinking about uh, this side of things. This side of things. But before the Prestige Journal, you were running CPA on fire. Uh, would you walk us through this kind of the background of being in uh, accounting and then migrating off to doing your own shop and kind of the journey from there? Yeah. So I was kind of all over the place in my career. Um, I started out in uh, private accounting. I worked for a big Fortune 500 company just doing like moment, most monotonous accounting work you could ever do. Like you're talking a billion dollar company where you do these little data entry stuff and you're like, how is anything I'm doing even making an impact here? Um, so I thought like, oh, I got to get into public accounting. And public accounting would be awesome, do tax work. So I moved out to Denver, Colorado, got a job in public accounting, did that for a few years and still like just didn't feel right and thought, okay, I got to get into financial advising. That's what would be what I'd really like. So started doing that, got with a financial advising firm in Denver, uh, worked with high net worth people, doing helping them make their investments, that kind of stuff. And still just like didn't click, didn't feel like it was something I was supposed to do. And I finally realized it wasn't the job that was the problem. It was, it wasn't the career. It was, I just wasn't happy being an employee. It just didn't work for me. Uh, so I decided to start my own accounting business. Um, and I decided to work with 
small business owners, because when I was doing this, even the, the, the financial advising, the public accounting, that was where there seemed to be a need, right? Because you had these big businesses, these, these high net worth people that could get all this help. But then you had these small businesses who were kind of stuck in the middle where they could go to like a, t- a, a chain shop and get just the very basic tax planning or just tax prep, really no planning, or they'd have to go to a CPA firm and, and be very low on the totem pole or pay really high fees that they probably couldn't afford. Right. So we decided to focus on that. And I caught a lucky break very early on, got uh, hooked up with a guy named John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, just reached out to him asking if he needed any guests. And he said, I don't need a guest, but I need a CPA. Uh, so I got to work with him. And from there, just kind of exploded. We, we found this niche of working with online based businesses and uh, the rest is kind of history. I had kind of forgotten about the fact that you were doing financial advising for a little while. Yeah. Would, was it like this running the same playbook over and over of like, Hey, you're in this situation, therefore this is the recommendation or how custom was it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it was uh, it, like with where financial advising is going now, it's, it's not really like, Hey, you should go invest in Google stock, whatever it's, Hey, uh, let's, let's get hands off investing where you just set it and forget it. So it was, I would say somewhat customized, but a lot of just, let's put all your money here and, and you let it sit for a long time. Cause that's right. what investing <laughs> is now. <laughs> that makes sense. That's awesome. So, uh, obviously the entrepreneur on fire connection, um, was a big deal for you. You wound up changing the name of your uh, brand at the time to CPA on fire, um, to kind of be in line with that audience. And that was super successful for you. Um, how has, so what's the difference? Maybe you can walk us through kind of CPA on fire versus the prestige journal and kind of how the rest of this journey is unfolded here. Yeah. So CPA on fire when I was there was mostly focused on tax work, right? So we're going to handle your tax prep. And then for the people who wanted more hands-on services, we're going to work with them throughout the year to make sure they were in the right entity, make sure that they were doing tax planning throughout the year, make sure they're getting those estimated payments in. Um, but it was all focused around taxes. And there's, uh, I'm, I'm still involved with CPM Fire. Uh, there's new majority owners in it now, and they've branched out to focus on some of the, the financial stuff too. Um, so you can get significantly more services there. Uh, but at the Proceeds Journal, we wanted to handle everything because we saw that these people we were working with, we could help them with their taxes, but they had really crappy bookkeeping, right? Whether it was doing themselves or going to someone super cheap and doing it. So we wanted to be the, someone that, somewhere that someone could go and say, Hey, we, kn- we know that our bookkeeping is really, really good here. They're going to give us numbers that we can actually understand instead of just saying, Hey, here's some reports. And you look at it and have no idea what it's actually saying. And we're going to handle the tax stuff. Right. That makes sense. So with the transition and um, kind of running what you're currently running, I'm curious about, and there's a couple of specific agency oriented questions and topics that I want to explore with you today. But when you say <clears throat> good bookkeeping versus crappy bookkeeping, like what, what makes good bookkeeping as opposed to bad bookkeeping? Yeah, so um, good question. Uh, there's a lot of different things. Um, number one, doing it at all. Uh, we saw way too many businesses who were not doing any bookkeeping whatsoever and just saying, hey, uh, I brought in 100000 and I spent 90000 so just put that I made 10000 Like, yeah, it's not quite how it works, right? Um, number two, having numbers, like I said, that actually mean something to your business, right? So people can say, I spent $90,000, but how does that break down? What are you spending on advertising? What are you spending on labor? What are you spending on all these different things? And what is that telling you about your business? So we want to be able to people to be able to look at those numbers and have it actually mean something to them. And as far we, we go as far as the procedure, and we're going to show you 
hey, as an, an agency business, this is how your numbers compare to other agencies, right? You're spending five times more than the average one is on advertising. You're bringing in two times less revenue, whatever it is. So being able to give numbers that actually mean something to you is, is what I would call good bookkeeping. That makes sense. And you've obviously lived through being a service provider who then sold off at least a you know portion of uh, your business. You've lived through the impact that having uh, numbers, uh, better or worse, have on being able to facilitate a sale. Yeah. We've run into that a couple of times with agencies who we've uh, been working with. We're not advising them on the sale process themselves, but who've gone through the process of trying to exit or actually exiting and trying to dig back through and figure out and make up what were these numbers. <laughs> Uh, right, four or right. five years ago that I, I don't have accurate records for. Um, so that makes sense. Definitely facilitates and adds a lot of trust to the process if you have that yeah. correct. Okay. So that's super helpful. Um, what I didn't mention is the way that you and I got connected, um, which is kind of a funny story. I reached out to you. I'm not sure if I knew at the time. I think maybe I did know that you'd reached out to John in kind of the same way, but I kind of reached out to you and said, Hey, it looks like your website could use some work. We need, <laughs> <It could. laughs> we, we need some, uh, some financial help on our end. And that's how we got, and I don't know when that was probably 2012, 2013 or 2014, somewhere around yep. there. Um, but, and it's been awesome to have a chance to work directly with you here over the past five or six years. Um, so I'm curious on the, if we bounce back to the agency side, one of the things that we uncovered, I think right away working with you was hair corporate structure was incorrect we probably overpaid you know, 10 grand or whatever in taxes the year prior by just being a we'd grown large enough that being a, a taxes a partnership versus an s corporation didn't make sense so i'm sure legal entity for sure uh, makes one uh, big difference on tax efficiency in the agency business are there like a couple main mistakes or main things that you see in the agency space that agency owners get wrong when it comes to saving money on taxes yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, the entity by far is going to be the, the, the biggest one. Um, and it's, it's hard to give it, when the Tax and Jobs Cut Act came in 2017, that we used to be able to say, hey, after this amount, this is when you start looking at it. That's definitely changed a little bit with the tax law changes in 2017. But if you're a reasonably profitable business, if, if you're making 50000 or more per year in profit, meaning after expenses, you better be at least discussing if an S-Corp is, is the right move for you. Um, like you said, it could, I mean, once you start getting into the six figures, especially you're talking potentially 10,000 or more per year, every year in that. And then when you start getting even higher than that, now you have what they call the qualified business income deduction, meaning that the IRS automatically lets you deduct 20% of your profits every year, but you can start to limit yourself if you make enough money and you're not an S corp. Um, you, you face yourself out of that at a certain income level because you could be fallen to what they call a service-based business. Um, so more than ever, it's important to make sure you're in the proper business entity. And then from there that you're handling that entity properly, right? Because if you're an S corporation, sounds great. You save a bunch of money, but there's stipulations that come with that. Number one, you have to pay yourself a salary. And that was big before where people weren't paying themselves a salary because the IRS could get mad at that and either revoke your S corp or charge you all kinds of penalties and interest for not doing it. Now it could even be costing you that qualified business income deduction, which again is an automatic 20% write-off. So by far the biggest thing we see people missing is not having that that proper entity yeah. um, and, and not maximizing that new QBI deduction. That makes sense. Is there anything from a tech stack perspective, Josh? I know that you help um, kind of set up if people don't currently have the tech stack in place uh, for their books correctly, that you've got recommendations 
um, and help set some of that stuff up. <clears throat> but from a tech stack perspective, I mean, the two main leaders that I see in the space are still QuickBooks Online and yeah. Zero. From an accounting perspective, is there other stuff, other tools that you've come across or that you guys are finding yourself implementing or just seeing more and more frequently? Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, those are two, the two biggest ones. We get that question all the time, which, which one is right for your business. It's, it's really all personal preference. My, my biggest recommendation there, and, and you're probably not going to get much pushback in your industry, but to get a cloud-based one, um, don't go get QuickBooks online where it has to be on your personal computer. Um, but after that, I mean, the, the biggest tool that we've been using at the Prestige Journal lately is called Fathom. And it's almost like a CFO type service where it's going to take all that information in zero, which again is assumes that you, ha you have the right information in zero. But if you're doing that properly, it's going to take all that information and then spit out actual numbers that mean something to you. So it's going to show you and you can even set goals like every month I want to have X percent profit margin. I want to do this. I want to have this much revenue. And it's going to take those numbers and tell you what you're hitting, what you're not hitting. Um, depending on who's doing it for you, it can compare them to other people in your industry. So that, that's a big tool that we've been using a lot lately. Hmm. I don't think I've toyed with that one. Um, it sounds familiar to another one that I came across the other day and was playing with, and I'm just Googling right now to see what's the Fathom site? Uh, is fathomhq.com. That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. This is not the one. So what was I playing with? There's, we're, we're actually in the process of switching to one called Giraffe. I don't know if that's the one you were looking at. That's not the one, but a cool okay. name for sure. So yeah, and like it's, it's not spelled at all like you'd expect. Don't Google like the animal giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's another, it's more high powered one. Uh, I wouldn't, you probably, most people probably won't need that. We, it's, it's more if you're managing other people's, but Fathom is, is really, really cool. Um, that's one I definitely check the out. The one I was playing with recently is Summit. Uh, it's being built right now. It's more for SaaS businesses specifically mm. versus, um, you know, the agency or service-based right. business model. Um, but Fathom looks super cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, really any of those, like we, it's just like with the bookkeeping, any of those are going to be probably really cool. The key is going to be number one, getting those numbers correct. So it actually right. gives you the correct information and just trying them out see which one you like. Yeah. It's the garbage in, garbage out. Like exactly. Really yeah. It isn't right. It's not gonna, it's not gonna make sense. Makes sense. Um, I knew for us, when we first started working with you, I think we had way too many expenses in our general or administrative <laughs> categories or miscellaneous categories. Yeah. Um, from a tax perspective, like, are there any benchmarks that you're shooting for, for as far as, hey, these categories are okay to, 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 as long as they're legitimate expenses to have in that category? Yeah. And so there's a lot of confusion around the whole categories thing. And, and, and what we're saying, if, if you've never really done your own books or put much thought into it. Basically, when you do your taxes, the IRS, they'll let you put a lump some number and say, hey, I made $500,000 total gross income. But when it comes to expenses, they want you to actually list them out. They want to know how you're spending that money. So advertising, labor, office expenses, whatever. Um, and for the most part, it's not a huge deal if you get one of those wrong, right? Like if you, if you, if one should be advertising and you accidentally put it in an office expense, not a huge deal. It's the exact same deduction. Uh, the where that does matter, meals and meals is a 50% deduction instead of 100% deduction. And that used to be meals and entertainment. Now it's just meals because entertainment is no longer deductible at all. All right. So those type of things, you want to be careful where you're putting it. Um, but other than that, the important part is on your side, right? Because you want to be able to analyze those numbers. So you want to get as specific as possible. You want to avoid putting them in general categories, like general admin, miscellaneous, stuff like that. There's going to come times where that's going to happen there's there's certainly times where we put stuff in miscellaneous but that should be a very 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 small percentage of your overall numbers 
Um, my, I guess I, I, the biggest thing I would say is be as specific as possible and don't be afraid to make your own categories. The, the IRS, even for tax purposes, they'll let you call it whatever you want to call it. Um, so have categories that mean something to you that can tell you what you want to know about your business. Um, I don't know how much you've looked at other countries, corporate <laughs> uh, tax structures and stuff is like, is that normal to just let you say whatever categories you want? So I, th that's a good question. I don't know. We could go deep into the woods here because this is something <laughs> I'm really interested in. But uh, the funny thing is most other countries, we, we do it so backwards for most other countries. The IRS tells you, Hey, you tell us how much you made and then we'll tell you how much you owe. Right. And by the way, if you get it wrong, we're going to know and we're going to penalize you for it. Like the equivalent I read was think of like if your credit card company is like, Hey, uh, we need you to tell us all the transactions you had on your credit card. And if you get it wrong, we're going to penalize you. Right. Whereas most other countries are like, Hey, we know how much you made. Here's a little postcard saying how much you owe. If you disagree with it, tell us why. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting how our structure is, but um, I, I don't know how if other countries, I, I've seen a few that, that have, had you listed out like a profit and loss statement almost. Hmm. I don't know if that's universal or what. But. Right. That's interesting. So I want to run this one by you because I know that this is something that you're personally doing. And this is a topic, um, we haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, but um, Andrew and I are super interested in kind of the idea of like second act. Like what do people do after they build an agency or after they build a service-based business? And you're kind of living through that right now where you built a business and now you're on to a second iteration uh, similar business model, but these service-based businesses in general are a great way to generate free cash flow. Um, not always a great way to store that free cash flow or continue. You know, there are certainly cases to keep investing in it, um, but in an exit event like your multiple that you make on this type of business is going to be significantly lower versus software or some other type of sure. subscription-based business model. Um, so I'm curious just about kind of your general thoughts. You've obviously spent some time, um, digging into and learning and investing in real estate, but are there areas that you're seeing because you get to see kind of behind the scenes of what so many people are doing with their cash? Are there common trends or areas that you think people ought to be looking at things that you're bullish on in terms of investment platforms outside of our own businesses? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's actually an interesting question. Number one, I would say, um, and this may be a little different than where you're going with it, but I, I think that if you have free cash flow, you should absolutely have a retirement plan within your business, meaning a 401k, a SAP, whatever makes most sense for your business. And there's, there's pluses and minuses to both of those. Um, but, and once you're in there, you can invest in whatever you want, index funds, mutual funds, stocks, whatever. But the great part about that is it's a gigantic tax deduction. So you can put in, I think for 2020, the max is 56,000 total. Um, and there's stipulations on how you have to get there by paying yourself certain salaries. But the max you could potentially put in is $56,000. That's number one, going to reduce your taxable income by $56,000. And number two, going to grow tax-free until you pull it out in retirement. So it's basically like a, a double dipping tax savings there. Um, so that'd be the first place I'd be putting any free cash flow in, in, in where we're recommending our clients put it. Is there any trigger point? And I realize everyone's situation is different. Like if I want to go invest in commercial real estate right now, maybe I need to pour, pull out more cash than if I'm purely staying focused on the business and coaching high school baseball and not trying to do a million. Other <laughs> but is there a point where you say, Hey, here's, here's a dollar number where you should start one of those, uh, investment vehicles. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm trying to, 
Not, not really. I, I, I would say, so we, the biggest thing we get our clients on is some form of the profit first system. And I think you said you've had Mike on the podcast before, right? So, right. so your audience probably knows a little bit about the profit first system, but basically you're taking all of your income that comes in your business and putting it into different buckets. So once those buckets are accounted for, once you're covering your operating expenses and the desired uh, owner's comp that you want, that's when I'm going to start looking at putting it into something else. And the first thing I'm going to put it into is some type of retirement plan within the business to maximize those tax deductions. That makes sense. And then for anyone who's not familiar right now, 401k um, versus the self-employed IRA or whatever the other options are, yep. how do you think about that or break those down or what are the decision? How, how does the decision tree happen? Yeah. So there's a lot of different things to look at there. Um, number one, do you have employees? All right. Not, not contractors, but actual employees. Because if you have employees, there could be stipulations on how much you have to contribute to them. Um, I would say the more employees you have, the more in a 401k is desirable over a SEP. Because with a SEP, typically any employee is automatically eligible for the same percentage that you contribute to yours. Whereas with a 401k, you can, you can control that a little more. Um, number two is what type of entity you are. If, if you're an S-corp, um, how much you contribute to the SEP is going to be based solely on your salary. So you'll have to get that salary really high to max it out. So there's a lot of different things to look at. Um, it's very specific to your individual business. I would talk to a tax professional and, and they can lay it out and say, look, this is how much you can contribute here. This is how much you contribute here. This is how much you'd have to contribute to your employees, but a lot to look at there. And it's a really important decision. That makes sense. And when you're setting those up, and this is more of a technical question, but I know if you had your druthers, you would choose Gusto, I think, to put most teams on for payroll. So are you running the SEP or 401k through some of their tools or integrated platforms? Yeah. So uh, with most, I think they do have their own 401k now, uh, Gusto. Um, and I've, I mean, I, 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 everything I've used to them has been really good. So I, I haven't personally used their 401k, but everything else has been good. But I, I, if you go through them, you can't have it automatically put into the 401k or the SEP. You just have to do it separate. Um, but it's, it's, it's not a huge deal. I mean, it's just literally transferring money. So, Right. That makes sense. So at, once you get through that retirement vehicle, let's say your business is still throwing off free cash flow. Any favorites right now for where you like to see cash go? Yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 as you said, I'm a big real estate guy. I'm about to close on my 41st rental unit. So I I'm, I'm always recommending property. Of course I'm in rural Ohio, you're in Pennsylvania. So we have a, a different market than people listening to this in California. Um, I, it, I'm always a fan of as, as passive as possible. So if you're going to get into te, uh, stock type stuff, I'm always index low, low cost index fund. It's not fun. It's not uh, exciting, but you stick it there, and in 30 years, it's going to grow 10% per year. So, well, you say passive, but then I see your stories about your tenant experience. No, no, that's why I said, yeah, yeah, that's why I said index funds are passive. Real estate, it's you can read all you want how passive it is. It is not passive, especially if you're going to manage your own properties. Oh, that's awesome. 41. That's uh, that's. That's impressive. And this has been what over a four or five year period of time. It has so been four, most right? of those, actually all those have come over the past two and a half years. I had a few before that, that I've sold yep. since, but yeah, all those 41 have come over the past couple of years. Wow. That's wild. Um, any thoughts on if people are looking to get into, um, into real estate specifically doing it in a REIT versus like what made you choose to get your own properties versus doing a REIT or some other uh, investment vehicle? 
So a couple things. Um, number one, I had experience with it. My dad had, had been investing in properties for the last 20 years or so. So I knew a little bit about it. Um, it was also, like I said, really attractive real estate prices in my area where I could beat the return on, on kind of a REIT or something like that. And number three, I was willing to put my, get my hands dirty doing it and, and actually spend time on it. If I didn't know about it or if someone didn't know much about real estate, didn't know how much time they wanted to put into it, I would say look more into a REIT. Um, if, if you're willing to learn and, 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 and want to do something a little more exciting, get maybe a little bit better returns, if you do it right, then, then go for actual real estate. Yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. So I want to, I want to come back to kind of the business where it is today, uh, for you guys and who's, who's a good fit to work with the prestige journal. So, uh, obviously we talked about why it's important to have somebody. There's a million different places you could go to go find a bookkeeper and someone else to do taxes and someone else to do. Uh, financial analysis or advising or um, all these different pieces. But for you to, um, you know, for, for the, the best fit kind of client for you guys right now, who is that ideal fit client? Yeah, so we, we really work with any online-based business, but our true niche is probably service-based online businesses um, and, and, and like course creators and, and podcasters and bloggers and agencies. Those are kind of bread and butter. Um, we're, that's where we're working with some of the top people in, in the industry. Um, and that's kind of where we've, we've had our, have our tools best to fit. So when someone like that comes in into our fathom, we can compare them to other people in their industry. That benchmarking thing is super powerful. I know for us being focused on the agency space to be able to take somebody and say, Hey, well, here's the inputs that we need from you. Uh, yeah. now we can go benchmark that against 400 other firms or 500, yeah. other firms, depending on which data set we're looking at that number goes higher and lower because we're always finding there's new things that we want to go start gathering benchmarks <laughs> on. For sure. But that becomes so powerful and gives people, and obviously the answer isn't just do whatever everyone else is doing. Exactly. Yeah, it can get uh, dangerous when you do that, but if you use it right, it's really powerful. But yeah, just say, hey, does this look, like if someone else, if ultimately you're building a business and you want to exit at some point, if it's significantly far off one way or the other from what the benchmarks are, it's either a red flag or a big green flag, depending on what you want. So right. you want to make sure that you've got some sense of what that looks like. Is there a, a revenue point or a point at which um, agencies who are listening who don't have someone yet or aren't happy with their current provider should start thinking about, okay, here's where the Prestige Journal might make sense? Yeah, so usually we work with people who are doing at least 50,000 per month uh, recurring. Um, and we have several different package levels. Some, we basically take over your entire accounting. We become almost like an internal accounting team for you. Somewhere we're just doing your books and taxes. But usually people that work with us, are, they're at that 50,000 or higher point in monthly recurring. Let me ask you a quick follow-up question on that one then. So when you say you take over the accounting and that's yeah. different than the bookkeeping, <laughs> are you doing uh, accounts receivable and payable yeah. as well? Or yeah, our highest level package, we are almost like, it, it, we, we call it light CFO services. We're, we're almost like you're hiring us as your CFO. Um, we're, and we're, we have a team that's going to do your accounts payable, your accounts receivable, we'll pay your employees. We'll, we're basically taking over any type of accounting work within your business. That makes sense. Yeah. Is there a downside? And obviously we haven't hit a point where it makes sense for us to bring someone on internally to do it, but is there a downside to using like what is the downside i guess to, uh to using an external firm like you guys yeah. versus hiring someone in-house to do all this yeah no that's a good question and, and, and it's one we talk about with our biggest clients like look it, at some point it may come be better for you to bring someone in, internal for at least this piece this piece and this piece 
Um, I don't know that there's an exact benchmark there. It right. cost is certainly a factor. I mean, you're hiring a CFO in, in house, you're talking 200, $400,000 a year at a minimum. Um, so yeah, I mean, for the most people, it's going to be the cost factor. It's going to be the time factor. Uh, privacy is always going to be a big issue. I mean, look, there, there's people are trusting us with their most right. private information that they have. So, um, it, there, there's going to come a point where some of that they're going to want to keep in house. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, awesome. So if people are interested in learning more, um, any resources that you guys have out people to connect with, um, you want to just give us the site and any other places that you would point folks. Yeah, uh, they can reach out to me directly, Josh at tpj.com. Um, they, we do still have a lot of free resources at cpmfire.com. You guys, what's have, that? You guys have tpj.com? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and then the CPM Fire is still. We still have a lot of free resources. Sorry, I'm going through that in my head. Josh at, at tpjllc.com. I knew I was, as soon as he said that, I knew I was like, wait, I'm missing something. three letter domains. That's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Josh at tpjllc.com. <laughs> um, and cpmfire.com still has a ton of free resources, and they're actually adding to that there. That especially for people who are more handling things on their own. There's, there's a lot of awesome stuff there. Yep. Awesome. Well, it's been really good. Josh, we'll uh, put the links and everything in the show notes for this one. Um, but I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Hope you enjoyed that conversation between gray and Josh. And Hey, if your agency is, is in a spot where you feel like things are in chaos and you're ready to bring some clarity to the picture, head over to zenpilot.com and learn how we can help you Organize your agency operations so you can efficiently scale your business. We're going to help you out in three ways. Number one, we're going to help you clarify and structure the system that you need to mechanize. That's critical. Once we have clarity on that, we're then going to move into documenting key processes inside of a project management tool. We are huge fans of ClickUp as that project management tool. And then third, we're going to train your entire team how to use that new system so you don't just build it and let it sit there. It's going to give you the perspective and build you the data set that you need as an agency leader to make business decisions. So if you want help with all of that, head over to zenpilot.com. Check it out there. You can reach out to us via the contact form there. We would love to set up a chat and see how we can help you take your agency operations to the next level. Until next time, see you later.